From the first moment I heard the awkward-sounding intro to Spit on a Stranger, I was hooked on pavement. Most of you know the details at this point. My roommate Mike was a big fan of Nigel Godrich as a result of OK Computer and the rest of the Radiohead oeuvre. He brought home his latest effort by a band called Pavement. After a few spins, he was confused and confounded, so he gave the disc to me because I was interested in Godrich as well, based on my love of the Mutations record by Beck. So I put it on a mini disc. I was using a mini disc player at the time. I recorded it from CD to mini disc put it on my headphones, and like I mentioned, from the first moment I heard it, that was it. What was this? Do you know I started a podcast about this band? That's how much I dug them. (laughs) It was June 8th, 1999, that the world first got to hear the most recent collection of pavement tracks. I was about to turn 25. And if you've been listening to these little pre-album essays, there's been a theme running through them, and it's the death of mainstream rock and roll being supplanted by pop music and hip-hop, largely. Sure, there were still, you know... The, um, I don't know, U2 and, and Chili Peppers Light, New Metal, and all the shit that Woodstock 99 represented. But most of the heavy lifting in the rock and roll category was being done, well, by the giants I mentioned earlier back in Radiohead. But more precisely, the emerging indie artists. Most of them had probably cut their teeth with Perfect Sound Forever, or maybe, at the very least, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. There was no more true alternative, as it had become just another label to market whatever pap the machine wanted to spoon out. Now, 99 was an interesting year because it was sort of the end times, we were being told. There was this thing called Y2K that was going to end the world or at least change it as we knew it. And there was this undercurrent of fear that existed as a result of that. I was 25, or just about to turn 25, when, when I listened to this record. And I was still in school. I was taking a college program to become a public relations expert. And I was working at Starbucks. As it turned out, I enjoyed Starbucks more than I enjoyed college. And I ended up becoming a store manager. That's where I met my wife. Uh, She was a barista, and um, 
we fell in love. That was in 03, though. So that was a few years away. But in 99, I was still, you know, sort of in love with coffee and in love with being young. You know, meeting friends for beers. I, I had a refrigerator in my house, but I don't know if I ever had food in it. I feel like I ate at the pub every goddamn night. And on my walk to the pub, invariably I would have my headphones on and I would be listening to this pavement band. I ultimately got myself up to speed on who they were, what they were, and I Columbia housed myself a couple of their records. Yeah. Columbia House. How do you like that? What a fucking deal. 12 CDs for a penny. Come on. You, you, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. If you've never heard of Columbia House, look it up. It was, a, it was a fucking genius thing for hicks like me that didn't have cool record stores near them. So there's that. But let's shift back to 99 again for a minute because there's a certain sheen about 99 that is really interesting to note from time to time i get high and i think about this i think about peak pop culture and there is a strong argument to be made that 1999 was the peak of pop culture it makes you wonder if the corporate machine gave an enema to the pop culture apparatus for some, you know, to, um, to get it all out before New Year's Eve, you know? Because I'll tell you, if you think about, well, if you think about prestige television, okay, it was very early on, it was nascent, but you could argue that it began in 99. List your favorite movies. There's a good chance that a number of them came out in 99 fight club the matrix i i i I mean i don't have a list in front of me (laughs) i should even music now music had a certain um you know pop uh like pop music in particular wasn't for me but uh the the shine of it all sold records and records were set and broken in 99 by the likes of Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Eminem, um, maybe the Spice Girls in there. I think their second record was 98 though. I'm not 100% sure. All this was happening though we were being reminded that our world, or at least the world as we knew it, was going to end with Y2K. So, you know, aliens come down to Earth years from now, and um, they are going through our archives, and hey, the, the civilization ended, and you know, these guys were pretty hip. Sopranos is a fucking good show. <laughs> this Eminem, he's got a lot to say. Doesn't seem like he has enough time to say it because he's talking really fast. I don't know. That polish, does it... Is it represented on Terror Twilight as well? 
This is a polish that we haven't seen. Uh, Nigel Godrich did this record pro bono, but it still costs over a hundred grand to make. Think about that. They had to get some pretty good space for him. I don't know. Like pavement were clearly clearly um, able to synthesize so much of what was going on in the early part of the 90s with a healthy dose of experimentation and who gives a fuckitude. But this record wasn't slacker. It was atmospheric. It was lush. There were things going on in the band that maybe were being projected in the songs even, which is, you know, uh, I'm looking at you and, uh, uh, and don't cry. I'm looking at you right now, straight in the eyes. Is the titular character Anne a metaphor for the fan base? Even in 99, it seemed that way to me. This was a band saying goodbye. This was a band doing a very different record. With a very different style. But I'm convinced. They knew it was the end. So... What do you say we get this show on the road? Let's listen to some music. Maybe read some emails. Maybe have a little fun. Maybe learn something along the way. And maybe I'll finally get around to the task at hand. Meeting Malcolmus. <laughs> Welcome to Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast. Hey, it's JD here, back for another week of loading the shotgun with bullets that are the songs in the discography of seminal indie rock band Pavement, firing them into the target and just enjoying the fuck out of them. I am uncool and underqualified. But here I am, episode 105, 106, something like that. Uh, Not to mention, you know, 40 plus episodes on the bonus feed. So uh, there's a lot to listen to if you're new. If you're not new, well, you know how we do things around here. Week over week, we listen to a track in chronological order. From our favorite band, Pavement. Try and make sense of sense of the song contextually, lyrically. I do my best to uh, talk about the musicality of the song when I can. And we just have some fun. So there's that. The pod list. 
was uh, an enormous success, so much so that there will be a second pod list at some point because uh, definitely one of the most downloaded episodes I've had in a long time, um, you know, really made a really made a mark. And I even had a, a Twitter conversation with Spiral today and he asked if he could listen to the songs. So we know he's not subscribed to the podcast. But uh, he wants to hear. So I sent him a link and we'll see if he gives it a listen. I am hearing, you know, that uh, people wish that I would have like, uh, I don't know, DJed it or, or whatever. And, and I hear that. Um, and, you know, maybe if there's another one, I will or I'll ask your feedback and, and we'll go from there. But, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much where we're at. Today, we are starting Terror Twilight, finally, which is um, a record that was titled by Bob Nastanovich. He reckons that uh, Terror Twilight is the name of that weird period between uh, daylight and, and night where it's really difficult to drive and a, and a good percentage of accidents occur. It's a, you know, it's sort of a a bad magic hour, you know? Um, I would say that uh, the accident that occurred in this case, the songs that make up Terror Twilight are all real happy accidents. It's, it's, a, it's a great record. People were expecting a pavement record when it came out, though, and they were sort of surprised. It uh, has a different feel. It has a different sheen. Uh you know, I would say that owes to the production that uh, was was put together by Nigel Godrich, who has tweeted, you know, on occasion or for not on occasion, he tweeted once that um, he basically gave them a, a rate of zero dollars to produce this record. He wanted to do it so bad. In fact, he said he was crashing on couches in NYC to make it happen. The band just had to come up with the studio time. And we know that this is a band that typically the relationship that they had with their record company, it seems that they went out and made the records and then, and then, you know, um, were paid by the record label for the tapes. Like they, they seem to have did it themselves, obviously with record label money, but, um, they didn't have a great deal of oversight from the record company, which is, you know, a nice, a nice thing in this case, though, they, the band thought that they could, um, record this record in the rehearsal space, Sonic youth rehearsal space in New York city. When they got there, they realized that wasn't going to cut the mustard. And, uh, they ended up having to rent some, you know, uh, a lavish studio where the BC boys had recorded and, and then they did some final mixes, uh, overdubs and, and, uh, and Nigel did his mixes at RAK in London. So there's that. Now, like we do before we start any new record, uh, I do my little essay off the top. And then uh, I usually make a phone call to my friend Bobby from Atlanta 
to talk about the album artwork. And we did that once again this this time out. Uh, I called Bobby, and he had talked to Mark O, who um, does the album artwork and uh, and the like graphic design for Matador, um, and as such for Pavement. You're going to hear that uh, sounds like they had a plan for a while with this record. But uh, let's go right to that interview now with Bobby from Atlanta talking about the album artwork. Bobby from Atlanta, are you there? Check, check. All One, right. <laughs> Howdy. I love it. Howdy. How, how's it going, man? It's going great. How are you doing? Uh, it's always good when I get to talk to you and learn what you have learned and listen to your opinions. And, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I forget his name. Is it Mark O? Mark O, yes. Mark O. O-H-E. That's right. When we get to hear what you've gleaned from him and what you've interpreted with your own uh, visual background about the covers of the pavement records. Now, this is the last one. Do you have a tear forming in your tear duct? I, you know what? I do. It's there for it's sure. It's kind of sad. I don't want to stop. Yeah. Uh, whether or not I continue on with the Jix records, we shall see. But I, I've never really thought of the Jix records covers in the way that I think of the pavement record covers. Like they're, they're much more um, straightforward. Does that make sense? Some of them, uh, they vary a lot. That's they true. all They all vary, but yeah, I definitely I see what you're saying. There there's a little bit of a a different vibe to it. Maybe it's just me, but like pavement was always mysterious. Yeah, yeah, it's it's less uh it's more slick on the jicks. Yeah. It, it's like SM is more known and, you know, uh you know that that sort of thing. So yeah. um So here we are at Terra Twilight. It's uh the Twilight Hours. That's right. That's right. Terror Twilight, of course, uh, an album, uh, an album name, from what I understand, named by Bob uh, for the, you know, the hours that you have difficulty seeing, you know, when you're driving on the road. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a term from Bob Nisanovich, apparently. So, uh, in my research, that's what I learned. There's also a term called the gloaming. Have you ever heard that? I've not. So the gloaming, which this ties all nicely together. The, there's a song. There's a Radiohead song called "Gloaming." That's right. And the gloaming is that eerie time where your vision gets confused because it's right in between day and night. Uh, that's the gloaming. So really, your fact of the day from Atlanta. Well, that's cool because, I mean, you're right. It does tie together because you've got Nigel Godrich producing this record, mm -hmm. who is, of course, the, um, the uh, oh, my gosh, I can't think of the the intrepid Beatles uh, producer. Yes. Um, but the, uh, the he was like the fifth Beatle, and I always consider Nigel Godrich like the sixth member of Radiohead because, you know, he's been there for virtually everything. Yeah. Uh, half of the sound, I feel like. Yeah. And then Johnny Greenwood also appears on this record. So there's, oh, he really? know, some, there's the more 
uh, Radiohead crossover. I didn't know about Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, yeah, he That's plays. Cool. Uh, I believe he plays guitar on a on a couple tracks, um, and I think he plays harmonica. There must be. There must have been a hangout session at some point between all of these people. Oh, wouldn't that have been cool to be in the next booth or whatever? Like, not even assuming that I would be allowed at their booth, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> just to be <laughs> in the next booth away or the, you know, a couple chairs down or whatever, just listening to them talk. That's about like the music. Beatles and the Stones getting on stage together or something. Jeez, that's so cool. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have you learned, young man? Oh, gosh, I learned, I always learn so much and I always am uh, hesitant going in like, this is going to bomb. You know, and then uh, I get on the phone with Mark, and Mark fills me up. OK Computer, which was the kind of the the landmark Radiohead album that started the the re- it seemed like a new era of ro- Radiohead, and uh, that was ninety seven. That's right. Yeah. So, and this is ninety nine that we're looking at terror twilight. So I think surely Steven and company must've, they must've been fond of that album and found it. You know, the production was obviously really cool and unique. And so I would imagine Steven wanted a little bit of that in his world. And that's how we got here. Um, it's just so strange to go from like, Hey man, we recorded this in like an apartment uh you know above a music shop with a pseudo engineer and then bryce goggins saves the day to like we're gonna go and record in like a full-on you know i mean of course wowie zowie was recorded in a in a great studio with a with a great producer as well and 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 so so was brighton but this is next level this is next level like when you're saying the you know that polished sound this is a band that went from recording session work uh, in Gary Young's studio to now, you know, they're with this savant. <laughs> yeah, it happened. Uh, I, one parallel that I could quickly mention that just came to mind is there's a band called Iron and Wine. Have you ever heard of them? I have heard of Iron and Wine. Yeah, they're really fant- like fantastic band, great songwriting. Uh, but he, that guy, Sam recorded um really lo-fi sounds like it was recorded on um on a tape you know on like a cassette tape almost um and then he got to the point in his career where he had to do something different because the sound was so distinct and it was so lo-fi that it just you couldn't do that for your career over and over again so he ended up uh going from that Creek drank the cradle album, which is a great album to the sound, uh, a totally different dynamic, wide ranging sound on, um, shepherd's dog is the name of the, the album that comes to mind. That was like really richly produced and lots of, you know, lots of these kind of, um, you know, overlaid and inner interlaid sounds, Wow. Um, in between tracks, you know, leading in and leading out of tracks. And um, anyway, yeah, I think you have to, you have to mix things up or it just gets stale. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, th- I mean, pavement, this uh, album was the first one I bought 
with my own money at a store. And um, I remember that day and it was just, and so it's my, maybe my favorite for that reason, just because it, I have a real distinct, it came out, I went to the store and bought it when it came out and it was new, you know? Yeah. So, um, but anyway, circling back, I, so I talked to Mark and um, he lives in upstate New York and evidently lives kind of in a rural area. Um, and he was telling me, I talked to him for like an hour, which is just so, wow. cool. so cool. But he dug. So at some point, 15 minutes into our conversation, he said, hang on, I'm going to go out, out back real quick. And he has a, what I imagine to be like a shipping cargo container on his property. That's loaded with, art stuff clip Jeez. you know little pieces of paper and notes all the things that he wanted to keep safe and remember and pass on at some point so he went back out into his backyard and started digging through this container and looking at notes looking at notebooks and notes from this file folder um and was on the fly reading through this stuff and trying to remember things. And I, it was just unbelievable. He, he dug through, um, let's see for, for starters, this is probably some of the coolest stuff I've received from him of anything. So the album title, there were alternative album titles that they were tossing around. Oh my and gosh. I guess Bob ended up winning the day with the Terror Twilight name. Um, but a couple of the other, the running, um, evidently there was a song called Forever Horizontal. Right. Or Farewell Horizontal. Farewell Horizontal. That's right. That's what the expanded uh, CD is going to be called. Okay. Yeah. So, Mark, yeah, Mark said, I can't remember. Was it Farewell or Forever Horizontal? But. He said that that was the running title for the album for a while. And that I guess someone along the lines thought that that sounded kind of negative or uh, just didn't have a, just had kind of a negative vibe to it. Sure. Um, so they, they ditched that. Um, but he was, yeah, he, he said when I started emailing with him, he said, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of, of digging into this re this, this reissue uh, anniversary expanded edition. So, and I think you let the cat out of the bag of that on that too. So there is, there is an expanded reissue coming and he said probably four vinyls. Oh my God. Is what he said. 88 minutes is wow i looked up the math on that it's 88 minutes worth of stuff that you can fit on four four vinyls so that I, maybe maybe it was four sides i'm not totally sure but yeah the, there's evidently there's some gold hidden down in the in the mine um oh boy that's exciting yeah so he's working on that as we speak right now um, I'm assuming now that we have tour dates again, that that he was saying that it got tabled, that they kind of just put it on the back burner because the tour 
was canceled from COVID. So they just said, yeah, let's just, just chill out for a bit on this. Um, so I thought that was really interesting that yeah. you know, they had a title that they nixed at the 11th hour. Um, and some he's of the, got, so he's I've got, got some, artwork with that, with that album title on it. I don't know that he's got artwork. So the, we should cover the artwork since that's why, <laughs> since that's why the, uh, the thrust of me being here. No, you're getting insider, ins- yeah. uh, insider <laughs> access. So whatever you glean, like, I mean, share away, yeah. but I just wondered if you saw, like, uh, that would be so yeah. cool to see that album artwork with that title on it. That would be, I've neat. not seen any artwork with the title on it. Uh, but I have seen, so the terror twilight cover, as we know, it is black with these red, blue, uh, yellow, um, stars and whatnot. And it was taken from a French tapestry that was uh, much, much larger, you know, a tapestry is like meant for a wall. Um, so this is a little man, man figure with his dog. And that was like in the corner of this large tapestry. And I guess from what I gather, Stephen took a liking to the artwork and thought it was cool. Um, it always, it, it, it always reminds me of, I feel like a, like a neon cowboy vibe to it. It kind of looks like a cowboy, like a, a Western shirt almost with the, yeah, I can buttons. see that. And then the other thing I always feel like we, I grew up in the eighties. So I remember going to the roller skating rink and, um, they always had these like bright primary color flashing lights. And uh, <laughs> so it reminds me of like roller skating rink and a cowboy and maybe some neon lights too, you know, like sure. you went in a bar and you like an old dark bar and they had uh Christmas lights up or something like that. It just kind of reminds oh, that's me fantastic. of that. Yeah, that's just kind of how I always read it. I never really looked closely at it. I just looked at it from a distance, and it you know, just gives you that kind of nighttime uh, neon light vibe. Um, so he he said that basically Stephen kind of dug this artwork and said, "Let's can we take this and um, make it work?" And he said, "Sure." Um, so they you know they did a little manipulation here and there, but it's pretty straightforward. This this was interesting, I thought. So I'm a graphic designer by trade, and that font, the font of Pavement and Terror Twilight's the same. And it it looks a lot like a common font called Euro style. Um, is what immediately I looked at and I thought that they probably just typed that out. But what he told me is that they in fact they did not just type it on a keyboard. It's it was a French uh so the the tapestry's French. And then there's also this this uh, thing that you can buy at an arts and crafts store, I guess, called Letra Set, which is like a set of letters in a specific font. And it's kind of like you rub it on, like you take a pencil and you flip it upside down and you scratch it and it and it lays it onto paper. So they found these letra sets. I imagine maybe they were touring in France or something and picked up some of this stuff. 
but he said it was it was called Letraset. Is the it's kind of like an arts and craft thing, and this one was called Mecha Normal, which is like I don't know. It just kind of sounds like a I think of a German. Um, uh, what is that that German uh, band that? Uh, oh gosh, I can't think of it. Can. Not not can, but um, I can't think of what is it that it was a whole like type of music, a style of music. Anyway, um, I imagine them just I can see Stephen getting into like a French theme and, and going full in on that. And uh, so the other thing, too, was so I, I mentioned forever horizontal or farewell horizontal being an alternative um title or uh album name he also had a couple of other <laughs> a couple of other alternative titles one called some of our parts oh which wow is which is a great not, title <laughs> but it's not s u m it's s o m e right sure so it's like <laughs> like some of our body parts or some of our you know well, the fact there. that it's such a Malcolmus-centric uh, yeah. record, you know what I mean? It's almost like, to me, it's almost like, you know, this is this is the Steve record, right? Like, yeah. this is some of our parts. Yeah. That's, that's why I get a kick out of that. That's cool. The other one, which is, this is just the weirdest timing. So, the, uh, the, the third um, alternative title was Egg Recordy. Egg Recordy? Egg as in eggs and toast yeah egg and then the other word is recordy which is record with a y on the end what the fuck and so <laughs> so here's the the crazy full circle thing i said you know like what the hell does that mean obviously and he said well there's a um there's a can album called egg bamyasi Okay. E-G-E, not, not egg as in E-G-G. So it was obviously a ripoff of Can's Egg Bamyasi, which is kind of their most popular, critically acclaimed album. Right. And then after I got off the phone with, with Mark, like a week or two later, Malcolmus puts out a cover album right. of cans egg recording or egg bamyasi. Right, right, right. That's why right, that title was right stuck after in my he head. right after I had this conversation, he releases a cover album of that album. That's, that's so pretty fucking cool. weird. <laughs> yeah. So and then I was asking him some nerdy graphic design questions. So I was looking at the the album artwork. Um and I was like, well he, you kind of like did a little manipulation. Like one, some of the stars are floating on top of the word pavement, you know, just a little bit of a um, little extra like play almost. Yeah. A little bit of extra like graphic treatment. And he said, well, I think Mark Eibold actually did that. So, <laughs> so Mark stopped by his office. I think Mark lived around the corner or a few blocks away from the uh, Matador, um, you know, corporate office where Mark works. 
And I think from what he was saying, Mark stopped by one day and like, I think he said he rode over on his bicycle or something <laughs> and he uh, stopped by and he was like playing around with it and moving the stars around and put some on top of the, of the wording. So I thought that was kind of a cool little, that is cool little snippet. Um, they also told me some other really interesting little tidbits. He mentioned that, um, he mentioned that there's some, he was digging through his storage unit while we were talking. And, um, he said there's, there's also, you know, with this expanded reissue, there's some, uh, tracks listed here that were in, you know, the, the original set of tracks that they were trying to narrow down was a good bit longer than what ended up on the album. And he was running through all of those notes and he said, oh, here's some, here's some uh, album tracks that didn't make it on the album, but they'll probably be on the reissue. And they're great, really great uh, names, of course. So you ready? Yeah. Okay. Black Lemonade. Oh, my God. That's great. Uh, and then these two are funny. Blown Coverage. <laughs> which is like a football term. When yeah. You, when you shit the bed and your guy runs past you, that's basically <laughs> blown coverage, which is kind of, it's got kind of like a sexual innuendo in there too. Maybe sure. Or something. That's um, very, that's very salacious. And then this one's great too. kiss it. If it moves. What the hell? <laughs> I thought that's my favorite. Kiss it. If it moves. These are, these are song titles that maybe some people out there have heard before, but to my ears, these are brand new. And, probably, uh, probably nobody other than insiders would have ever heard those names. That is pretty badass, man. Yeah. So look out for Black Lemonade, Kiss It If It Moves, and Blown Coverage on Farewell Horizontal one day. Um, trying to think if there's... That it was pretty, is a pretty uh, concise uh, list of notes that I had, but they're like just really great stuff that he he uh, passed along to me. So what are so, your? Oh, sorry. No, ahead, no. That, I was going to turn it back to you and see if you had any questions or ideas about about this. Well, as far as the oh. artwork goes, the only the only other question I have is there's that poster that's done in the same style but it's got like the cowgirl yeah did yeah. you talk about that at all or what that was about or I'm trying to recall where that came I, from? i'm looking for the uh let me see if i can find the poster i'm typing it in um yeah i think it's probably the same um i don't see it when i pull it up on oh there she is yeah she's like a white almost like albino yeah. Nude girl. That yeah. has to, I don't know. I think he um, had mentioned at one point that Stephen's mom, I think was an artist. I don't know if any of this stuff is from her. I believe it was his mom. Um, I think she had contributed something on a previous episode that we talked about. Maybe an inside, uh, one of the images on the inside of the, you know, the fold out uh, paper yeah. work. 
Um, but I, yeah, I don't know the, I don't know the provenance of the, of the albino girl, naked albino girl. Well, if you're listening and you do know out there in uh pavement world, shoot me an email, JD at meetingmalchemist.com. I would love to know what you think about that and, and where it came from. Like, was it a record store exclusive? Like I, I visualize it being hung up in record stores, you know, like to advertise the record. Yeah, that's, how, that's so. sort of how I see its use, uh, but I but I don't so. recall. I, I just remember the record being in record stores. I don't remember, you know, any any real um, promote, you know, like great promotion of this record, other than magazines. Uh, there were a lot of magazines that were really pumped about the idea of this lo-fi, you know, band that had really come around with Bright in the Corners partnering with Nigel Godrich and and putting out, you know, uh, a more complete, full-sounding record to, to see if, you know, just to see what the future is. To me, Terra Twilight has always been like sort of a first draft of the Steve Malcolm's solo record. Yeah. Um, that's sort of what it reminds me of. It's just like, you know, like, what are we going to do with, with this? And that's not to diminish the work of the other guys on the band uh, at, at any stretch, but, you know, <coughs> it's it's the only record that is missing a Spiral song. And we know that there was a great Spiral song out there because we all have seen Slow Century and we've seen For Sale, the Preston School of Industry. And we all have our fingers crossed and hope that that, uh, that track makes uh, Farewell Horizontal. So. Yeah, there's that. Um, yeah. What are your favorite, what are your like call-out tracks on the record? You're mentioning that this is, from a nostalgia perspective, this is probably your favorite record. But if you were to take nostalgia out of the picture as best you can, obviously, what are, what are, the, what are your lasting memories of this record? And, and what are the standouts for you? I feel like it's, um, I feel like it flows naturally, which is probably part production because it really like each song kind of flows into the next song literally like there's sound that over that that kind of fuses songs together um and you spit on a strange the opening track spit on a stranger is i think that the intro goes pew, 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 you know and yes. there's like these weird electronics um and then the bait <laughs> and then the thing about that that always gets me is the bass. Um, you know, you have these kind of electronics, and then the bass really is f- really in the oh, forefront. Oh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. and it's just yeah. really present. And I love—I mean, I love bass guitar for starters. Uh, Major leagues, obviously, is is just a classic. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I don't really. I like this. I like this album for the reason that I like a lot of albums, which is that I don't really. I used to go. I remember you. I'm sure you remember as a kid. You would go on a CD and you would fast forward to like track five, you know, and you'd be like, oh, "I love this song. I love the song," and then you go straight to track five. You yeah. know, um, I don't like that. I've, I've never since I've kind of gotten older, I don't do that much. I'll shuffle my playlist 
occasionally through Amazon Music or whatever. Yeah. But I really prefer to just put an album on and press play and listen to it all the way through. And this one treats your ear to that. I mean, it just fits that kind of way of listening to me where it, that's, it just it works. That's really cool. And it's also probably, if Spiral happens to be listening, probably very validating to, to him to hear. Because yeah. I know there was a tug of war between he and Nigel Goderich on the track listing. And, and I'll get into that. that. Was like, I, is, I don't know if nature versus nurture is the right term, but some of it is like, what is the term I'm thinking of? It, you know it this way, and so it feels right because that's the yeah. way it is. And so I think that if it were done differently, you might feel like, that's the way it should have been too. Sure. Um, because that's the way you know it. Um, yeah. So there could be, you know, I mean, I maybe spiral nailed it. Maybe it's just my affection for it. That's gelled over time, but just feels like a natural flow. And uh, uh, I think it flows always, really well. Yeah. I think it flows really well. And maybe we should put out a playlist or something like that of, of the Nigel cut of the, of the record um, yeah. to, to just get familiar with that. But to, to my ears, it, it really works as well. Like I'm with you. Like it, it, there's a certain flow that's, that's, that's present. I did. I would dare to say that this expanded re-release will be the best of any of them because. Wow. That is bold. I just have a feeling about it because I know I know the way Radiohead handles their albums and how how many tracks go into an album. You know, a lot of times it's like forty, you know, and then they end up with eleven, <laughs> and and there's so much with Nigel Godrich. There's so much experimentation that it's not going to all work. Right. And, you know, a lot of things are done forwards, backwards, spliced together. Right, right, right. And sometimes that ends up perfect and sometimes it doesn't. So the exper- the the amount of experimentation that's on record during the session has got to be incredibly vast. But we've got two EPs. You know what I mean? Like there's two EPs and the, the EP that we just finished on the show had like six tracks on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so uh, yeah, I hear you, but I wonder, I'm really curious I because think like, be why did those Terror Twilight EPs end up on the bright in the corners, you know, uh, mm-hmm. expanded edition? Like it's so strange to me. So you, you, you must be right because there must be when they put them on, right in the corners they must have known well we've got this in the catalog to put on terror twilight so i I don't know i don't know uh we just have to wait and see but i've been alluding to a secret on uh a few episodes that i've talked about and i may as well just say it now i haven't got confirmation from spiral if i can say it but the one time i was talking to him he had the album in front of him like so he's got a pressed cd version of the expanded edition uh and that was about a month ago Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know between Marco's work on the album cover and and them listening to actual press copies of the of the 
of the track listing and the CD. I mean, it's it's for real, folks. It's happening. It's going to happen. Yeah. So, so that's really fucking cool. It's gonna be good to guarantee it. Mark so, you know, Mark so magical, like talking to Mark. Uh, he was like, well, I probably should. He's so gentle and thoughtful and uh, is happy to elaborate on and on. And he's, he kind of said at some point after an hour, he's like, I probably need to go. I have an album that I'm working on for Nathan Salzberg that I need to give him revisions back tonight. And so Nathan Salzberg is probably one of my favorite guitarists of anyone. And I didn't know, I didn't know he was working with him. You know, like this, this guy's just got, he's got his fingers in all these different soups. (laughs) He's just, um, he's kind of, uh, um, I don't know. He's like a nerd legend. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. It's so fortunate that you've been able to form a relationship with them. And I'm sure that we'll continue to communicate. I don't know if we'll do, you know, full on sessions like we've been doing, Bobby, but uh, man, it's been just a blast doing this. It, has. it has been. I was ner- I was so nervous the first, you know, that slanted um, interview or conversation we had I was so nervous and I've, felt like the podcast was so cool and i just kind of threw it out there that that time i emailed you i was like what do you think about this and then i told a buddy of mine i was like i'm gonna do i'm gonna be on this fucking podcast it's gonna be awesome (laughs) and it is awesome and and it was such a it's kind of like you do a research project about you know like world war ii or whatever and then you're like i know i know so much more now about cool. this because I got to dig my teeth into it a little bit. Well, and you've got to share so much as well. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of people who have listened to you who have learned, uh, you know, a great deal and are probably very jealous that, that you sent the email and that you had the idea and that you had the tenacity to find Marco and, and, you know, form a relationship with him. And it's just been, yeah, it's just been really wonderful. So it thank has. you so much. Well, thank you for having me and, and agreeing to it. I think that, it hopefully it adds a dimension to what you're doing. So oh, definitely. I I always learn something. Awesome. All right, man. Well, on that note, we'll pack it in. This is going to be a long episode, I'm sure. Uh, I got a lot <laughs> to say. Happy belated birthday! Happy belated birthday so to JD, everyone! Everyone applaud. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm red in the face right now. <laughs> All right, buddy. Stay cool in Atlanta. You too. I'm not going to stay cool. It's 90 degrees here. Jesus. All right. (laughs) Talk to you soon. Take care.
boy, that's just beautiful, right? Uh, love the way it begins. Love the way it kicks off the record. Now, interesting story here. Uh, Godrich basically had a set list. You know, he he felt like he was immersed in the songs and the creation enough that he had come up with a set list and, you know, basically challenged Malcolmus and said, you know, like, uh, we've gone stoner record here and you need to go full bore with that conceit that this is a stoner record. And therefore, these are the songs that need to, you know, this is the order that the songs need to be in. And Spiral, having learned his lesson from Wowie Zowie, um, you know, uh, which you could argue, you know, was was a bit of a commercial gamble with the set list that they had released. Spiral had always insisted that he had a uh, a classic rock record cut of Wowie Zowie. So he had he had his own sequence for Terror Twilight as well, and he won out. And to my ears, that song you know really works as an intro to the record. You you hear the the lush uh, like the the atmosphere that's being created um, really great uh, channel separation, you know, between some of the backup vocals and um, just like a dreamy, real atmospheric melody chosen by Malk as well in that song. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put together the uh, Nigel Godrich track list and release it as a bonus episode on the bonus feed. So if you're interested in that, you can subscribe to the bonus feed, three bucks a month. Uh, if you're not interested in that, that's cool. If you're already on the bonus feed, well, hey, you got something to look forward to, the uh, the Nigel cut of Terror Twilight. So that's pretty cool. Um, what do you think of that song? Uh, I, you know, I dig it. It's, it's not Summer Babe. It's not Stereo. You know, as as a as a kickoff track, it's not Silent Kit. Like it's not these songs that we're we're used to kicking off a record. So it really does a good job of lighting the way and and telling you you know what this is about. And then from a subject matter perspective, I, I feel like it's very it's very mature. Like there is a lot going on in here. However you feel, whatever it takes, whatever it's real, whatever awaits, whatever you need, however so slight. Whenever it's real, whenever it's right. Um, that's beautiful. You know, that's just really nice. And that, that, that's your, you know, your verse. And then you get this, this big chorus. Uh, I've been thinking long and hard about the things you said to me, like a bitter stranger. Um, now, is this insinuating that the person who said the things was speaking like a bitter stranger? Or they're being interpreted by a bitter stranger uh, because their perspective changes. And now I see the long, the short, the middle, and what's in between. I could spit on a stranger. Um, and you're a bitter stranger. So, yeesh, you know, that it, it sort of gets a little darker there in the second verse. But uh, in the second chorus, rather. But then the first chorus. But when we get to the second chorus, I fucking love Honey, I'm a Prize and You're a Catch and We're a Perfect Match. Oh, I have long loved that lyric. That might be one of those ones that when I first heard it, I was just like, just bouncing, you know? Um, really quite dig that. Honey, I'm a prize and you're a catch and we're the perfect match. Like two bitter strangers. 
So is this, is this the start of a relationship or is this the end of a relationship? I think thematically we're going to see that a little bit on this record. And I think it's the end of the relationship. This is, this is a group of people that aren't necessarily friends, but they're not, you know, um, they're not strangers, but then there's this bitterness there because of all that they've, you know, went through together and created. And, uh, I don't know. Is this about him and Scott? Like, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's real interesting. Real interesting. And that's what I have for you on spit on a stranger. The first track, love that fucking bass sound in there. Oh man. This is a long one. Sorry for that. Uh, clocking in at, you know, almost an hour here. So I won't bore you any longer. Keep yourself, uh, keep yourself hydrated, won't you? And wash those goddamn hands. We'll talk to you next week. Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast, is a weekly affair. Connect with JD at JD at meetingmalchemist.com. Please support the pod by rating, reviewing, or sponsoring us at meetingmalchemist.com. And hey, I'm social. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at meetingmalchemist.